0: Welcome to the Remind You podcast, where together we keep mental health in our discussion. I am your host, Dr. Christie, a licensed clinical psychologist who guides the dialogue about how our everyday experiences impact our emotional well-being. As we unpack issues that are typically swept under the rug, Each weekly session will offer us an opportunity to make meaning of our everyday life experiences. And while you may gain insight, and hopefully greater clarity, this podcast is not a replacement for a confidential relationship with a mental health provider. So, as we prepare for today's session, I invite you to take a moment, settle your body, center your mind, and open your heart as we join together for another opportunity to keep mental health in the discussion. So welcome back, everyone, to the Remind You podcast. This week, we have Tenille Bowser. And Tenille and I go way back to uh, the early 2000s. We won't date ourselves completely. (laughs) But um, she is one of my big sisters in Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated the greatest sorority out there, I'll put that out there. Um, But in addition to her being a Delta, she is also a principal here in Virginia. So Tanil, can you just take a moment and kind of introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Sure, Uh, my name is Tanil Bowser. And as Christy said, we are sorority sisters and have known each other for a very long time. Um, I have been a teacher and a school administrator for 16 years now, I think. Um, So I am going into my second full year as a school principal of a middle school in Virginia. Uh, Before that, I was an assistant principal in uh, Virginia for about a year and a half. And prior to that, um, an administrator and teacher in Washington DC for about 13 years.
0: So you've kind of had a lot of experience and I'm so glad you chose to join us. On this platform, because I thought your experience, um, just as a teacher, as a principal, and just you as a human, like we could just kind of dialogue and and kind of help our listeners, because we're all struggling, like with the pandemic. I'm sure there's teachers listening to this and other people who are in leadership positions trying to figure out how do they even navigate this. So let me just start with yourself. Like, how have you, as like a leader, just been navigating this whole experience?
1: Yeah, it's definitely been a challenge. Um, one, because, you know, there are so many decisions that have to be made as a leader that affects everybody, right? Like every decision I make impacts children, it impacts staff, it impacts families and communities. Um, and so it's, you know, for many of us, especially our the type A folks, we like to be really clear, know the answer to things. If we uh-huh. don't know the another process in which to go find the answer. And this has been a time where we really, there's so many unanswered questions. Normally would feel extremely anxious about that, but it's something about recognizing that everybody's going through this at the same time and we just don't know the, all the answers right now. And, you know, I could, we could either spiral out of control in the unknown or we have to just manage what we can manage. And i have really, you know, trying to focus on managing the elements that I could... To focus and as a leader being very transparent about what I know and what I don't know um, when mm-hmm. talking to
0: my students my families. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all just like, it's like day by day, moment by moment, and things are constantly changing. So I can only imagine, you know, as you all are plan- planning for students to come back, you know, that you're trying to keep your team motivated, keep them informed, and then you're like dealing with all this stuff too along the way as well. Yeah. But I think in some ways, like I always say, like I was
1: when school closure first happened, I was working like I always worked a crazy amount of hours. But now from working a crazy amount of hours, which included movement, like moving around the school, chatting with kids and teachers. I was now forced to be like at a desk from like seven 30 to like seven 30 every night. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like physically and mentally exhausting from like the zoom meetings all the time, just like the level of like communication and skills that you need to be able to pay attention, like to what everybody's saying, focused on Mm -hmm. them. It just takes a different skill Um, and it was just, it was really exhausting. And, um, also, you know, I was like everybody else, like, eating all the covid foods and (laughs) like you know kind of losing that sense of like reality but then it was like it also hit me i was talking to some of my other friends they were talking about like how much weight they were gaining over covid and i was like oh my god i better like check myself right i need no scale so i was like ordered a scale from target and was like okay you need to like get back into like still creating that structure and routine for your life and then i also told my team i was like look folks, we are going to kill ourselves. So right now, I'm going to say moving forward, do not schedule any meetings on Friday. You will mm-hmm. still be expected to work, but we're not going to have any Zoom meetings. You work and do your own thing within your mm-hmm. own pace, but we're going to leave Fridays open because all of us sitting at our desk on computers and working with teachers and families all day is exhausting.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: like, let's create space and parameters around the work that we're doing. We're still working, but we're not going to have this expectation that you're like fully on you know, for, you know, 10 hours every day. And that's where we were at the start of, you know, the school closure. And so it was really important for me to set boundaries for myself and for my team. Um, And then, like, by setting that boundary, I didn't, I wasn't always really clear about that when school was in place, because it just feels like there's always so much to do. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, this allowed um, me and my team to create some boundaries, you know, for myself um, and for, and for my meeting times and things of that nature.
0: Yeah. So you've like been able in the midst of COVID to actually find structure um, in the midst of it. And I, f- I totally feel you on those COVID snacks. I don't know if anyone else out there can relate to that. I should have called you in April um, to get my scale. But, <laughs> <nonetheless>. <laughs> We're all a work in practice, as you're saying. But I like I like what you're kind of sharing with us about like the boundaries and then what you've been doing. It sounds like you've been as a leader transferring that to your team as well
1: yeah and so like I created my own structure for myself because I felt like I had lost that like I was just working all the time mm-hmm. so I just had to wake up because I was like killing myself like I I was already which I'll talk about a bit like when I took on this job um you know never dealt with anxiety or what I believed or I guess was identified as anxiety mm-hmm. before I was just like a classic overachiever in many ways and like when dealing with the new like if I had a big project at work, right? Maybe I wouldn't sleep for a little while. I put so much pressure on myself that I was like in a super anxious state and didn't even mm-hmm. recognize it. Like I wasn't even sleeping for months. Like I was waking up at like two o'clock in the morning and not going back to sleep. Um and so I just didn't want to cycle back into that mm-hmm. from like losing all the work that I had put in to kind of get away from that. Mm-hmm. So it was important to me to create that structure for myself and for my team and to also like acknowledge that I needed I was normally as a school leader you're moving all the time and now I was very sedentary so I had to create time to go for a walk in between meetings in my neighborhood or I would wake up earlier and go for a walk um I invested in a peloton which I had been completely Mm -hmm. against prior to this it created another structure and another outlet um for you know exercise and self-care um and you know i just feel like sometimes you just even if it's an expense if it's going to make you better mentally and physically and we all need that during this time then it's a worthwhile investment um and so just creating those times so like in the morning if i have to wake up a little bit earlier or if i'm in between meetings and i jump on my peloton and take mm-hmm. a ride and then like you know Put, throw a work shirt back on for the next meeting and you know, after that, you know, it's like we create these spaces in our, in our life to manage. And I know it's a lot more challenging when you have children, you know, I don't have kids, so I'm still able to create that structure for yourself. It's critical during this time.
0: Mm-hmm. So creating the structure, having boundaries, and then like, I'm hearing this like purposefulness, or being like intentional, like making sure like you're infusing it throughout the day, these different strategies like the Peloton and um, and trying something new. Right. You're like, I don't want a Peloton. And then you went out and spent the money. Yeah, it was.
1: It was great. Like I needed a little something more. And like I always tell people, I think I researched that Peloton more than I did my first house. But um, (laughs) it was a great great investment, you know, for me to, to to. so like, but I think it's whatever you need, whatever that is,
0: you
1: know, like online book studies or yoga classes or whatever. You just got to figure out what's going to work for you.
0: Yeah, that's good. So you mentioned like a little bit before about like you were kind of put in this category of being like an overachiever, which is, which for in a lot of ways, especially making it to be a printable is probably deemed as like a good thing. And so then over time, somehow you realized or someone mentioned it to you, but you came to the realization that maybe you were dealing with anxiety and it was something more than just being kind of the classic overachiever. So tell us how you kind of got to that point in the process. So I think
1: it was really interesting. Like when I moved back to Virginia, it was like a lot of change really quickly because I've been in D.C. in the same school community for a very long time. And moving back to Virginia, I got a new job as an assistant principal in a middle school um, and then I was promoted after only being here after a year and a half. So once again, I had just established myself in a new community. And here I was shifting again to a whole nother community and understanding mm-hmm. that. And then the weight of the job, like nobody really can articulate that until they get into the seat of the principalship about the weight of the work. Mm-hmm. Um in the demands of the work, you know, you, and I I was never an assistant principal that thought I can do this better than my principal. I just thought I had something to offer. Hmm. So when I got into the seat, I just, you don't even feel, I don't think you recognize all the weight, but your body recognizes it. And I found myself being like really, unhappy most of the time like and and then the lack of sleeping I was like compulsively eating all things that I realized now like after starting therapy were you know indicators of anxiety which mm-hmm. I have you know it's like when you were have a big project or something at work and you do that for a temporary period of time but you just think it's because you're like stress eating right but then imagine going like eight months like that where Are you should sure have not You're compulsively eating. I gained, like, 30 pounds in, like, my first year as a principal, Um, and it was, like, really shocking. I was just, like, I felt like I was walking around like a zombie, one, because I was you know, I would wake up at like 2 a.m. and then not go back to sleep and then do a Mm -hmm. full work day and then go back to bed at like 11. So I was sleeping like 11 hours a day and then still functioning um, at work. And work was going really well. Like, you know, everything around me was validating the work, right? Like my boss, the teachers, like I have a really strong team that I've developed. Um, But yeah, I still was feeling like on a thread, like, you know, just it's going to be one more thing to to break it. And I actually um, had one therapist and during the transition part, cause it was kind of like one of those things where you're dealing with a lot of life issues oh. and like, okay, maybe I should start going to therapy just to address like, you know, um, just getting older and, you know, life and all that kind of stuff or things that, you know, kind of show up in your behaviors.
2: Uh-huh. And so,
1: this therapist was kind of like, you know, you seem to be adjusting well to the new job. Basically, she told me I didn't need therapy anymore. And like from a teacher, like I'm like, I never told my kids the answer, right? I helped them arrive at that. So I right. was first really, because I felt like she should have asked me questions to help lead me to that versus like basically saying, you know, maybe you just need to come in and check in once in a while. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so guess I don't need it. But I felt, I still at my core felt like I needed it. One, because I just, was pretty sad most of the time driving to work and then I would be like super fine when I got to work. I'm like, okay, it's all good. And then after work, I'll be back in the same place again. Um, it's weird that my mom actually is the person that recommended my current therapist um, because she had a colleague at her job that kept saying how amazing her therapist was. And so my mom gave me the number. I was like, I think you need to call. <laughs> <laughs> Like I called her and I had to do like, it was definitely better. It was like, I had to do an inventory before I even saw her Mm -hmm. we went over the inventory that none of that happened in my first therapist. Um, We went over that inventory and then she was kind of like, I think I can help you. And she's like the first person that ever said, you know, you're suffering from like severe anxiety right now. And um, I think for people, especially people that are either apprehensive to therapy or they tried it before and they felt like it didn't work. I feel like I really learned that therapy is like jeans or a beta suit. Like you have to really try it on a couple. <laughs> to yes. get, You know what I mean? Like, no, right. You know, like every gene pair of jeans is not going to fit right for your body and your needs. And like, I went into being like, I want an older African-American woman who's Mm -hmm. a Christian and who's, I had this little checklist and I found that and she was totally wrong for me. Right. And then I have like my new therapist who I think is the GOAT. She is like a sassy older white woman, like in her sixties. She's a Christian. She's like nothing like I would have ever thought Mm -hmm. to look for, but she's like amazing. And you know, like she is super academic and, but at the same time, a Christian. And that's like a really good balance for me. You know, like we pray at the end of my sessions and things of that nature. So I just think it's really important to find, like if somebody doesn't feel like a good fit for you, it's okay. Like look for somebody else or ask, don't be unafraid to ask for recommendations from people. Like I recommend my therapist to like everybody. I'm like, Judy is the goat. So like, you know, call her, and if she's not the right person, she'll recommend somebody for you, and I think that's, like, super important that you have enough self-awareness to say what your needs are if you just don't feel like yourself, and that's kind of how I felt, like, I just didn't feel like myself, Mm -hmm. and so I think, like, through that process and learning has helped me really, like, recognize some of the behaviors and also work to change some of my thoughts, like, you know, like, thoughts that I have that are like reoccurring that you have to work on whatever those thoughts are for you you know what I mean so it's
0: been,
1: it's been like the best experience I'm so grateful for it
0: I'm so glad that was like a good experience but it's funny you know like we all have these those of us who are high achievers I put myself in that category right um but you know we have these like tendencies of things that we want right the ideal is like i want my therapist to look like this right or i want my husband to look like this or i want my friends to be like this and then it's like well wait a minute like susie next door is actually my best friend and she's the exact opposite of you know what i thought my friends should be like or my partner or what have you and so i love what you're saying like where you you tried somebody but then you went and you tried someone else, right? And she's very different from you, it sounds like, but she's the GOAT. Probably a lot of people would have given up after
1: their first experience. Mm-hmm. And I um, I didn't give up. And I, I feel like therapy is like super important too. One thing I've learned through this process is that I think we think it's supposed to fix us like kind of immediately versus like, I've learned that it's good because we go through things continuously in life that we need to learn how to adapt to or adjust to or work through. Um, it's not just for, it can be for a season or it can be for a little bit
0: longer than that, you know? Very true. And what you're saying is kind of the spirit of this entire podcast is like to help people talk more about mental health, but like if your mom's coworker hadn't talked about, you know, her therapist, you know, she wouldn't have been able to give you that information. And my mom was like, I promise I told her it was for me, not for my daughter. It's <laughs> like, okay, you know,
1: because I still think there's so much of a stigma and we don't want people to think anything bad about it. And even in my leadership, like I talked to my team very candidly about mm-hmm. like going to therapy and working through things. And like I think, you know, leadership is a very isolating job. You definitely have people that you can call and lean on, but at the end of the day, the ball stops at you and you get lots of negative feedback and like judy told me too she was like you know you've always been successful at work you've never really had to plant seeds about how to rebound when you hit something that is not like success right Right. like i remember when i would make mistakes like my first couple months i literally would want to die like cringe crawl up under my desk i wouldn't want to call my boss and tell her like hey i made this error because i just was not used to that i didn't things like you know successfully for so long I didn't really have to get critical feedback about the work but whenever you step into something new that's usually what happens but if it if that's the first time receiving it if you're not prepared for it, it can really be hard for you
0: mm-hmm. yeah, so. yeah I do trust me I do know because and I know for me like I'll make things it'll be something really small right and you feel at least for me like it feels like it's a huge deal and people were really like you know, you you put a capital A when it should have been a lowercase a. And it's like. <laughs> I
1: know when I called my boss at time when I made this like error in like my staffing workbook. And I, I was like, I literally wanted to die and call it my desk. And I was like, oh, my God, like it was not a big deal. And I felt like I wanted to die when I realized what I had done. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I think we magnify things, like you said, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when they really don't have that kind of weight. But we create that in our heads. Like, right. Like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's
0: important. Yeah. And I think those of us who are in leadership positions um, or just, you know, like you said, like high achieving, we can be doing so well at work or in our personal lives. And like, hey, like this is anxiety. And it's it's to the world it's like, oh, yeah, she's the best employee. She's the best leader. And at two o'clock in the morning, you know, it's like, wait a minute, I can't sleep or I feel nervous driving into work. And then, you know, a week of that turns into three months, turns into six months, turns into mom, can you recommend somebody? Right. Like, cause something has to give here. So as a leader, like how have you, especially when we think about teachers and other administrators that you work with, like, how have you kind of brought, I guess, your own experiences into the workplace to help them, you know, become more comfortable talking about mental health or even just taking care of their own mental health?
1: Well, I mean, so many of things in the world right now are aligning with this. Like we're doing a lot of social emotional training for our teachers and trauma-informed training for our teachers. One, so they have a better understanding of kids, but I think also they have a better understanding of themselves in order to support children. Uh So we do a lot of that work. Um, And we talk, you know, like I always stress self-care and that people should, you know, spend time, you know, taking care of themselves. And I try to be very transparent in like my own actions and behaviors Uh for my administration I'm way more transparent than with my staff, you know, like with my administrators, I talk about, you know, therapy and the need for it. And like, you know, I feel like they candidly will say like, I am feeling really anxious about something or I'm working through this right now because it's a can't, like I, I am transparent about the things that I have to work through. But it's also because I trust my team. Like, trust is a huge indicator for me. And so um, I trust the people that I work very closely with to share that information and be candid about my own experiences.
2: Mm-hmm. But,
1: you know, for people, you do have to have that level of trust because there's always that fear that when you share something that's private, people will use it against you in some right. way. So you have to, I'm not saying people should just, I don't go out and just stand at the staff meeting and say, you know, my therapist said, now I may say that in my Advent team meeting with people that I trust, but not right. Like with my whole staff, but there are teachers that come to me and are going through personal things and I Uh encourage them. Speak, uh, you know, speak with a mental health expert. I encourage them to use the resources that are provided in the city, um, and I tell them that's not my place or my job, but I can refer someone to you through this resource. But you know, mm-hmm. taking care of yourself is important. Um, so I do utilize that when people come to me and talk privately about things that they're going through, which is yeah. you know part of the work. You know, my job is. Sometimes being a therapist, teachers, parents, children, the whole community. And that's another reason why leaders need to be doing their own mental health support because you are supporting so many people. So, like, if you're not then checking on your own self, you can't actually fully support all the, like, literally, I carry the burdens of so many people in the building, and I have to adjust to their needs or their whatever issues they're facing can negatively impact our building. So, we're always supporting them um, in a lot of different ways, you know? Like, I have parents sometimes when they come because it's like their child received discipline issues, and it ends up being a therapy session for the parent, and they're mm-hmm. crying because so much of the time they come so angry at us and it's really about, well, you know, I lost my job or I had surgery and I've been out of work for, you know, three mm-hmm. weeks, That so the anger is directed at us, but it's usually because they're going through so many other things. So, you know, we have to be very balanced or we're going to emotionally react to them as well. And yeah. so, so that's important for myself, for my administrative team to really understand that people are coming in with their own experiences.
0: hmm did you ever, cause I, I'm wondering this question though. So did you ever, <laughs> like, did you ever worry like, oh, my staff, especially as a new principal, um, a fairly new principal, did you ever wonder like, oh, is my staff going to think I'm crazy? Are they going to wonder like, you know, on certain days when, cause we all have our days when we're just not, you know, our, our best versions of ourselves, you know, are they going to judge me? Like, did any of that come up for you as you were sharing on the no,
1: because even though I have my own personal struggles first off like I said it wasn't until I had a strong trust and team before I mm-hmm. shared those things with them but I work really hard to be the same person every day at work so like yeah. I have cried all the way to work driving my car but when I get out the car like I get myself together in my office and I'm ready to face the day
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think that is a part of just you know, my own tenacity and fortitude, I think it's like how I was raised. I think it's like my sorority and organization and experiences through that. I think there's a lot of things that, you know, create the fortitude that you have to even when things feel like they're falling apart in your own world. I can't I can't display that for my. I, I mean, who wants to work for somebody who is? I've like, worked for people that cried all the time, like my bosses, and I was always kind of uncomfortable, you know. And because people have, want you to be vulnerable, but there's a level. So, like for me, it's really important that I'm supportive of people, but I still have to be the leader. I still have to yes. present a certain way, and I and I definitely understand that being young and black and a female. So mm-hmm. I'm. I'm there's always going to be that boundary that, you know, I create between the people I'm leading. However, you know, with my team, now that we we've been together for over a year and a half, you know, there's a level of trust there. People are vulnerable and feel safe to talk about certain things, but that was overnight that happened over time. Right. Right. And when I wasn't so off kilter that I was okay sharing that in your storm, it's not always easy to talk about it, you know? So you just move through, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but once you're in a steady place and you have trust with your team, then it's much easier to share those things.
0: Yeah, that's good. And I think that's signs of a good, a good, well-balanced leader, if you will. Right. Like, so it's like your staff or your team can understand, you know, Hey, like Tenille's human, right? Like she, she becomes anxious. I become anxious. Right. Cause sometimes I think, When people are in leadership positions, whether it's in schools or, you know, corporate America or business or what have you, it's like you feel like you have to have it all together. And your staff want to know that when they have days when they're not their best that, you know, this person understands on some level. And
1: we try to all model that. My entire team does. And I think like I'm a big Renee Brown person Mm -hmm. and love her. Yeah. She, you know, and Dare to Lead, she talks about that, like, you know, the principal or the leader that stands up and says, trust me, nobody actually really trusts them, right? Like, it's really about trust is built over time through small, consistent actions and efforts. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what I work really hard to do with my staff. And I work really hard to do with my my leadership team and then also with my parents and my community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really important is to be transparent, but do those small daily things that create trust within a community. It just yeah. doesn't, doesn't happen overnight. Um, and I learned that over time. Like, I, until I had a leader that I didn't trust, mm-hmm. I recognized that, like, building trust. I, I was Trust was almost kind of given sometimes for leaders that I had until mm-hmm. I had one that I didn't trust. And mm-hmm. so then I recognized for me that big takeaway of, like, building those small things to create trust um, within your community.
0: Yeah. What would you say to people who are out there? Cause you've built, it sounds like a great, like trusting, um, healthy relationship with your team as a whole. What would you say to like some of our listeners who are kind of like, well, that's good for you sis, but I'm going into this toxic <laughs> environment. Like how, how can people who are listening, like if they don't have a boss or supervisor, like you are not part of that kind of team, how can they bring that like healthy version of mental health into their space? You know what I mean? Two to, to paths, right? So when I
1: came to my building, they had a lot of that. Was, it was pretty much a toxic environment. That's how the teachers felt. That's how people felt. There have been a lot of leadership changes. They had had three principals over the last four years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like they had a little bit of PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's real for people that have had a lot of leadership changes. But you have to walk in understanding where how the people are and what they feel. And so you do really small things to create that as a leader. Like for them, like I didn't have a major faculty meeting when I introduced my they introduced me at a large faculty meeting, but when I introduced myself, I did it in small group settings. I told my story and my journey and helped them understand like how did I get to this place that I was here now. Mm-hmm. I asked them to get create a visual of their journey for me and share if they were comfortable and wanted to share that information. If not, it was just for their own record keeping mm-hmm. so we do small things like I could have done that in a large setting but I knew it's more impactful to work in small groups of people but even in my story I told them that when you are truly unhappy in a workplace the only thing you can do is change your attitude or change the environment that's the mm-hmm. only thing you, can, you can't change your boss, right you know change your colleagues but you can change your attitude and your perspective about approaching them or you can change your environment by finding a new job mm, <laughs> <And> right <laughs> i mean those are the only two options right Or you're just going to be miserable and i've been miserable in a job before where my boss made it miserable for me to come to work and I, that's when i made the decision that either i was going to keep being miserable or i was going to change my attitude or change mm-hmm. my alignment. i decided to do both because until i found a new job i need to go to work with a different approach yeah. um, In the meantime, I was going to be looking for something different. Because you can't change those people. You can just do the best in your job and in your space every day. Um, But it can be hard to work in a toxic environment. And if you're the leader... you really need to do an autopsy about why you either or how you've created that environment and that can be painful and maybe you need to add some trust to people who will be transparent and give you the real deal um or people that you don't really trust like that but they dislike you so much that (laughs) they're ready to tell you why they're unhappy um because you do have if not you're just going to continue to create the environment you're not going to change anything and that goes back to like, do you really want to change it if you were the creator of the toxic? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And you have, you have to you have to recognize that if you have created that space. And I think not all leaders are reflective because that is painful to say, what have I done to create the space in this environment? But those are really your only options. I, I wish I could tell you something, but you either got to find another the job or change your attitude because you're right. not... You're not really going to change that the environment will then as a result change probably based on how you're changing right you see things differently but it's not um it's not really a magic pill for that you know yeah
0: Yeah, we call it um, in psychology, we call it radical acceptance, which sometimes people feel like is almost like giving up. But it's like it's basically kind of the idea that it is what it is. And like, I can't I can expend a lot of energy trying to change my boss or trying to change, you know, whatever big system or the school system I work in. But that energy is probably going to lead to some negative outcomes. But if I kind of accept and sort of change my attitude a little bit, Things may not change around me, but my response to it may be a little bit better, right? It might be a little bit easier to carry the burden. And I love the idea of an autopsy, right? That's kind of a harsh word, but I think that's what it is, right? And sometimes we need to look inside and figure out, like, what's going on with us? Everything around us is chaotic or my staff doesn't seem happy. Maybe it's partly because of me, right? (laughs)
1: Right. Exactly, um, And it is hard to, it's hard to do sometimes. And you also have to push your team. Like you have to question if you have a team that doesn't give you critical feedback or doesn't push back on things. Uh-huh. Um, that's, that's not good. I, and I know I have a strong opinion. I'm opinionated. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, I'm straight no chaser too, but like people, but I feel like teachers know that about me too. They're like, you know, Bowser will support you 100%, but if you do something wrong, she's coming for you. Like, That's don't. Right. And I think like um, that is part of it too. Like, you also have to create space and time where people feel like they can come to you and say, like, I don't like the way that you did this, or, and you have to be willing to accept that. And you can disagree with them, but you should yeah. also be hearing you know, their perspective
0: too. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, you are. You are totally straight, no chaser. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wish I could be a little bit, you know, like different, but it's just who I am. I can't, yeah. change it. You know what I mean? I wish like I had to get on some people yesterday and it's just like, it is what it is, but that's part of the leadership job yeah. Have to hold people accountable. That's one of the greatest things to break trust in a community is when mm. you don't hold accountable for their work. And bosses right. have challenging conversation sometimes. And that's the number, in my opinion, one of the fastest ways to break trust um, in a community is when they see that you don't hold people accountable for not doing their job.
0: That's right. That's right. That's when people often become disgruntled and, okay. and they don't know what to do. And sometimes they leave, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty much.
0: So the other piece I want us to kind of look at is you've mentioned, you know, yourself identifying as a a Black female. And so how has that journey been? Like, has it been harder for you as a Black female, you think, in leadership just to manage your own mental health and then the expectations that people might have of you or even just the expectations you have of yourself? Like, what's that been like?
1: It's interesting because I spoke with another doctoral student about this. She's doing her doctoral on, like, African American leadership and schools and things like that, and so it's. I have like such a unique experience because I started my entire career in the most liberal place in the United States, right? <laughs> like I started teaching and becoming an administrator in D.C., where there are tons of people that look like me in leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, there are where I'm around all of these folks that are female or minorities who are doing amazing things, and it's never. No big deal. It's never a question about anything. The ideas of race and equity are always openly talked about. And so when I moved back to Virginia, I was almost in a culture shock to be uh-huh. honest. Like it was it was like a face punch. Like I just hadn't been in environments like that before where all of a sudden I felt like I was Angela Davis. I never felt like really? I was all of a sudden I felt like I was the radical <laughs> voice in the room. <laughs> that was that was an adjustment for me, but I also feel grounded. And like my knowledge, like I'm, I'm very confident in like what I know as a school leader and my experiences and my time and my knowledge. Mm -hmm. So it has, so I felt comfortable speaking up against things that I didn't agree with or that Mm -hmm. I noticed, or just speaking up about the minority interests at a meeting or you know, if I'm in a meeting and they asked everybody to partner up with their hair partner, and I have locks and nobody else in the room has locks because there's only, like, three African Americans in the room, right. My assignment would be, you know, lack cultural responsiveness and I need to talk to you about that after this. Right. You, know right. what I mean? so, um, you know, but that, I don't know that I would have had that same confidence and that same belief and that same, like, I don't know, like, fortitude and who I am if I hadn't spent my whole career in Washington, D.C., where uh-huh. I was validated and provided such a rich, like, experience and growth experience that I, you know, that I can stand very grounded in certain things, right? Uh-huh. Like, um, and so I'm grateful for my, like, I would never change my experience in D.C. So, um I am have been really lucky here too. Like my current supervisor is an African American woman, um, and it's just so my voice is respected and appreciated. I feel like I have a superintendent who values um, diversity mm-hmm. and leadership, um, who recognizes that you know our division can do better identifying minorities and at every level to work. Um, and so I feel like even though it's been a culture shock in many ways, I'm still in a in a position where people recognize it and are aware of it and want mm-hmm. to do better. Um, but it, if anything, for the first time in my life, I realized how important it is to have minorities in positions of leadership.
2: Mm.
1: And that if we're minorities in positions of leadership, we cannot be afraid to discuss our experiences
2: mm-hmm.
1: and to shed light on them. Right. And Advocate for minorities.
2: Mm-hmm. Because if
1: we don't, I don't think it's intentional. It goes back to privilege and bias. They don't. Right. So I go back to this example that I use with my team all the time. When I first got here, we had two candidates that were, everybody kept saying they were equal. One was black, one was white. But when we started talking about it, everybody was voting for the white candidate. And mm-hmm. I was saying, like, if they're both equal, why are we identifying and selecting the Caucasian candidate? And I asked them, I said, well, you know, that was my first question. Then my second question was, how many minorities do we have on that grade level teaching? Right. Zero. So that if that's the case, why would we still choose that? And we know this is a division initiative to create more classrooms that reflect our population. And, you know, we ended up going with the African-American candidate. But if I was not in the room. Right. That would not have happened. And that's why I think it's important that minorities feel confident to speak up when in positions of power, in positions of leadership, or at the table, period. Like, right. you know, and don't deny your experiences. Cause I was in another meeting where a minority in leadership, we were talking about like different experiences about like, you know, and I've mentioned how as minorities we're always told growing up that we have to work harder we have to Mm -hmm. be better we have to be super professional because of what people's expectations are and it was mostly white people at the table and there was one other african-american leader who was an older person than i am who said she never had that experience Mm. and i i said really right to me as an african-american right Right. because that's not our true experience right I'm never going to be at a table and because of that table, deny with my experience.
0: That's
1: right. I think as minorities, we have to be more confident to sit at the, if we're given a a platform and an opportunity Mm -hmm. to sit at the table and actually speak from that platform. When everything happened with George Floyd, I question whether I should send an email to my staff about it because I recognize it's Mm -hmm. a more conservative area. But I wasn't being true to myself if I didn't do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was okay with whatever risk I took in sending them an email about everything that was happening and addressing it at the faculty meeting because it's a it's one of my values. And I think that goes back to, like, at the end of the day, no matter who you are as a leader, like, what is your why, right? Like, Mm-hmm. why do you do the work and if you don't know that then you're going to get lost in leadership like and I know right. Brené says it's hard to figure out what your two are but know what your two anchors are at the end of the day that are connected to your why and if you you need to know those because it will constantly keep you grounded in your decision making and your choices
0: you yeah know? that is so true and i think you know sometimes i think we get away from our why and we get away from our values. And I think sometimes therapy, I know sometimes therapy can help with, you know, just kind of getting us back in line, like whether it's, you know, COVID-19 or, you know, the social unrest or, you know, the upcoming election, whatever it is that's like stressful. It's like sometimes just talking through it with a neutral party who can help you figure out like, what are your values?
1: So I just think you have to figure out what are the things that
0: ground you most
1: and, and always kind of those are going to also be what anchors you when stuff gets real and terrible too. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> <That's> when <true. laughs> something bad happens, that were like for me at school, it could be something that happens in my building that may mm-hmm. have lots of negative responses to, and I have to still be grounded in those things in order to remember who I am and my purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, right.
0: absolutely. So you have totally given it to us straight, no chaser today. Uh, and you have stayed true to your authentic self, which I appreciate, uh, which was exactly why I wanted uh, us to have this dialogue, because I think people, you know, need to hear kind of what, A, what's happening in the school systems. And you're, you're not reflective of every school system in America, but you know, just what's happening in the school systems, how leaders, those of us who are in leadership positions or who desire to be leaders at some point in time, how we can like bring in mental health and mental wellness. And then those of us who are not in leadership positions and don't desire to be in them, um, you know, how can we take care of ourselves and like help when environments become toxic? And I think the other thing you helped us with is just the importance again of like having these dialogues and conversations because you never know who you might be able to help. Like, because you, your mom brought that information to you, that not only made you a better leader to your team, but like you opened the door probably for someone else to think twice about their own mental health and mental wellness. And so I just think these conversations are so important. And what I would love for you to do um, is to leave us with um, some reminder this week. You've given us a lot of kind of nuggets to think about and chew on, but what's the kind of one reminder that you want folks to kind of think about and uh, take with them this week?
1: I think it's one important to remember that your why and your purpose behind your work, whatever that work is, Um, and if it's hard to figure it out, really kind of dig in and start thinking about that is really important, and then I think one thing that hasn't really come up, but, like, who is your network of, like, people, like, who are your biggest cheerleaders, but also your people that are your mirror, You know, that will tell you, you know, basically you're wrong here, you're right here, um, and who will also hold you up. Like, I'm really blessed to have like amazing, amazing girlfriends who are also really dynamic women and really dynamic leaders who I can talk about the struggles of like personal life, but also can really discuss the struggles of being a leader Mm -hmm. um, and what all the responsibility that comes with that. So, I think just also look at your, um, your people and who are those people that, you know, no matter what you can go to and they're going to be transparent with you. They're going to be your cheerleader, but they're going to also hold you accountable yeah. when you are doing some of this stuff. And I think sometimes, especially in this day and age, we really live in like shallow relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, even if you have one person or two people really Think about who are those people in your life that no matter what you're going through will also be a mirror to, you know, the good and the bad and also your cheerleaders. I feel like sometimes we don't want that critical feedback from our friends, but I'm like some of my friends have um, have cut me to the white meat, as I said, when I'm reflecting or telling me things that I need to be better at or get mm-hmm. fix. So I just think um, it's important to recognize those things. So you're wide, but also I don't I can't remember Brene Brown. You may know this. I think it's like your four square. Like who are, you know, like the kind mm-hmm. of four people in your life that um, will will always be true to you. Um and 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 reflective of that. And I always say like my mom love her to death, but she's always not gonna be the most critical of me in every way because she's gonna she's always thinking about my best interest. So right. sometimes your peers but it could also be like these other people in your life that just fully you know support you in every way
0: i feel like just having a chance to talk through some of these topics you know it took us in a lot of different directions and i would love to actually talk about like that idea of the mirror you know like the people you surround yourself with and connect with um because that is so important to your mental health so thank you i know you're preparing to um open in some capacity yeah so thank you for taking time (laughs) whatever that's gonna look like um thank you for taking time um just to kind of share this space and to share your knowledge and wisdom and and most importantly your own journey uh related to your mental wellness with us and today so I appreciate you I love you so much um (laughs) and um Thanks for doing this, Christy
1: or Dr. Nora Wood. Um, (laughs) I knew you before you had all those letters behind your name. But um, I think it's like it's really important, especially as minorities, and that we explore this, especially because our parents' generation, this is not the thing to do. Um, And I feel like I was down into a debate with somebody that therapy is really about making us better individuals. It's not because I feel like I need this deep healing. It's because I want to be a better person than I was a, you know, so... um,
0: just, I think that's important, but thank you for giving, creating this platform for that to actually really happen and to talk about it. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I appreciate you and I'll see you soon offline. I know. All right. See you soon, friend. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to today's session of the Remind You podcast. We really got some great information that I think we can apply during the upcoming week. For more information about general mental wellness or to learn about some additional resources, please visit me at wwwremind ucom or of course, you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Christy Norwood on Instagram. Thank you all so much and be sure that you are keeping mental health in your discussions. I'll see you next week for our newest episode.